Turn your Bible, please, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 3. Hebrews, chapter 3. During this week, we're studying the book of Hebrews, and this morning, I brought a message from Hebrews, chapter 2. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? A message to believers, God's people, under the stringent conviction of the Holy Spirit that every one of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And therefore, I would plead with us not to neglect this great salvation God has given us as Christians. Now tonight I want to speak from the third chapter of Hebrews. Before I get to that, I want to give you just a preview of what we'll be studying tomorrow night and something of what we'll be dealing with all through the week. I want to give you an outline of every chapter in this book as we go through it this week. In chapter 1, we dealt with this in training union, God spoke in a lot of different ways to his prophets and through his prophets, various ways, through dreams and visions and floods and judgments and everything else. Number two, God spoke through his son, and that's a final revelation. He's not going to speak any other way. He has spoken through his son, and that is revealed in the word of God. The word of God is the written word. The son of God is the living word. They both testify one to the other. The word, the, the, the living word in our hearts, the Holy Spirit will never lead us to do something that's in opposition to what the written word of God says. We can always check it out what that sense or feeling or sensitivity is in our heart. People have all kinds of feelings, all of us do. But we constantly check it out by checking the primary source, the Word of God. And then, thirdly, God has honored His Son above all, Christ above all. We'll be dealing with that again tomorrow night. In chapter 2 of Hebrews, we have the purpose of the word warning. The purpose of man to rule the earth and the purpose of Jesus to save the lost, to save the world. And there are 10 statements about Jesus in Hebrews chapter two, we'll look at carefully tomorrow night. In chapter three, and I want to read this entire chapter tonight, there are 19 verses. We're going to look in, focus in on the last part of it. But we want to look at all, all of this chapter for just a moment. May we bow together in prayer. Our Father, we thank Thee for this time to study the Bible tonight. Thank You for everyone who has come, for the songs that have blessed our hearts, for the encouragement of God's people. Thank You for this, Thy great people. And the way in these past days, even though affected deeply by sorrow, they have said one to another, we love You. Not just in mere words, but in constant actions and thoughts and presence of, of their their beings and we just thank you for your people like that thank you for the triumphant victory that all of us stand in as we remember that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord and we reflect on what Paul said for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain make the Word of God come alive to us and help us to understand it and to put it into our lives in the name of Jesus amen Listen to this, please. Wherefore, holy brethren, that's God's people, partakers of the heavenly calling, that's God's people. Consider the apostle 
and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he, ha he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. And let me just say this, a lot of times in Hebrews we read that, that type of phrase. We're his children if we hold forth and so on, hold fast and so on. The thrust there is not our holding on, but the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Those that endure to the end are the ones that are saved. Sometimes we speak about the perseverance of the saints. Actually, it's the security of the believer because the perseverance of the saints is possible because of the security of the believer. The fact is, God keeps those who are his own and enables them to persevere to the end. Not everybody that makes a profession of faith is saved. Not everybody that joins a church or gets baptized is really saved. Only those who have received Jesus Christ into their hearts. He came into his own and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And so there's all tied together, belief and confidence and receiving of Christ. And when we receive him, we're saved. If we're a five-year-old child or a 50-year-old man or an 80-year-old man. And if we make a confession of faith, but we don't receive him, whether we're five or 50 or 90, we're not saved. And so that's the thrust behind those passages in Hebrews. Now verse 7. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, saw my works forty years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Now what's he saying here? Is he saying it's possible to be saved and then lost after you're saved? No, no. He's saying, take heed, take stock, look into your life. Only you and God know whether you're saved or not. Only you and God know whether you have saving faith. I can't tell you. The preacher can't tell you. Your friend can't tell you. Your mother can't. Your daddy can't. Your husband can't. Your wife can't. Nobody can tell you but you and God and the Holy Spirit. And take heed as you read these scriptures, lest you detect in your heart an evil heart of unbelief. And you recognize that that unbelief is there instead of belief. Because without belief and faith, you can't get to heaven and you'll depart. You'll go away from God. I think there's some people, even though they're not saved, who come and apparently walk with God for a while. I said apparently. Apparently. We look at it and think that. 
Lots of folks have said, how do you explain professions of faith that do not follow out? How do you explain somebody that seems to be in the church and walks with God for five or ten years and then they leave God completely out of their lives? I don't know how to explain it. I know there's several hints in Scripture. There are some people who go through moral declensions, spiritual declensions, sort of blackouts, and they get away from God for a while. But if they're really God's child, God will whip them until they're drawn back to Him and they'll come back. There are some who never were saved to begin with. And they walk away from God. And it's a sad, heartbreaking thing. Do you suppose it was a blessing to Jesus when Judas walked away from God? Judas walked with Jesus for three years. Lived with Him. Ate with Him. Listened to Him preach. Listened to Him teach. He had more opportunity than any of us. There came a day... When he came into that garden, he walked to the Lord and kissed Jesus. And the Lord said, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? Do you think the Lord rejoiced? His heart broke. And Judas left God. What was the problem with Judas? If I understand the scripture right, he was never saved to begin with. He was a superficial professor. And I want to tell you, there are some. It is possible to get into the church. It is possible to be a preacher. It is possible to be a deacon. It is possible to be a Sunday school teacher. It is possible to be faithful, to be there every day, all the time, and never know Jesus Christ. And that's the reason he said, take heed, brother, lest there be in any of you an evil spirit of unbelief. in departing from the living God but exhort one another daily while it is called today lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin you know it's funny that we find so much so it's so easy to talk to each other about the ball games out of our classes about the weather about everything but we get a little bit sensitive when somebody comes up and says uh, say uh, how much do you read your Bible <laughs> That's none of your business. Trying to be holy Joel or holy what you're doing there to me. Uh, have you read your Bible through this year? Have, have you been soul winning? Well, that's none of your business. You don't know what I do. I witness on my job. I do this, that, and the other. And we get super sensitive. And this scripture specifically says, exhort one another. Doesn't it say that? Am I reading it right? Exhort one another. Deacons, you come up to me and ask me if I've been soul winning. I won't resent it. Ask me if I've been out visiting. I won't resent it. I may come to you and ask you the same thing. You won't resent it. And we need to talk to each other about this. Lest there come in any of us the surfeiting and the deceitfulness of the things of the world so that they get their, their clutches in us like a terrible hawk. And we're, we're deprived of spiritual power. That's what he's saying. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Did you see that? Mark it in your Bible. We are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Now does that mean that we hold out to the end and if we don't hold out to the end we're not saved? No, that's not what he's saying because that would contradict other things he's saying in the same book and in the same Bible, in the same chapters and in the same uh, in book of Hebrews. What he's saying 
is that the evidence before man of our salvation and that we're partakers of the new nature is whether we hold out, whether we keep on going or not. There are folks that are tasters. They come for a while on Sunday morning and then they just, that's about all they can get. They're Sunday morning glories. And they bloom in the morning and that's about it. And they have a little shallow cup, get it full, don't come back till the next Sunday morning. And then if it rains, they don't come. If it snows, they don't come. If it's sunshiny, they don't come because they go out and fo- fish and do other things. And so they, they, they do not allow themselves to get so close to the fire that they get warm, warm-hearted. And, and the Holy Spirit is writing in this epistle, and he's saying, be careful because all of these things either build or subtract from your faith. We need faith builders. And he goes on to say, while it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt but Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. There are three thoughts in this chapter. Number one, the superior apostle, verses 1 to 6. Number two, the serious warning, verses 7 to 15. And number three, the thing I want to move in on tonight is the severe sin, verses 16 to 19. So we see then that they could not enter in because of unbelief, the severe sin, the severe sin, the terrible sin. If we were cataloging sins tonight and we'd say, what do you think about that man that stole that little girl down in Mississippi some years ago and buried her alive? Unless you're somehow hardened against capital punishment and you've got some kind of twisted thinking, excuse me, I'm giving you my opinion about it. You've got some kind of twisted opinion that says we don't believe in capital punishment. You'd say, well, that man ought to be, ought to be hung out in the public so everybody could see it. That's a terrible thing to do. What'd you think of that Greenleaf murder case several years ago, many years ago over in Missouri? I think it was near St. Louis. And this uh, thug took that precious child, unthinkable things, mistreated it, terrible abomination. And then it was learned later that while the child was still alive, they cut this arm off, and then this arm, and then the legs, and then some of the private parts. And then they beheaded that child, put it in a grave. What do you think of that? Why you say it's terrible? Unless you've been meddled with in your thinking, you'd say that man ought to be ought to be ought to be hung, ought to be in the gas chamber. He ought to be killed. And I believe in capital punishment, not indiscriminately, but I believe in it, folks. Believe the Bible never did abdicate. Now, that's terrible. Those awful crimes, awful sins, the sins of adultery and sexual impurity and the sins of thievery and thuggery and all the things that go on today. Terrible sins. We say they're awful. But not one of those is a sin that would keep you out of heaven. 
Did you know that? Not one of them. But I want to talk to you tonight for a moment about the severe sin. The severe sin. Notice verse 18, 19. I hope you'll mark it in your Bible. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. And I'm going to give you three reasons for that. I'll not talk very long. Number one, unbelief denies the Word of God. Unbelief denies the Word of God. God said it. I don't believe it. I don't believe it, so I don't act on it. And I don't obey it. I don't do anything about it. And I argue with God about it. Unbelief is a severe sin because it denies the very Word of God. God says, no, and I say, I'm going to do it anyway. God says, yes, and I say, I'm not going to do it. I'm just not going to do it at all. It was a plan God had for sacrifice. And he had it so that the priests in the Old Testament were to do the sacrificing. And Samuel had anointed Saul to be king. And they had an appointed time, appointed place. And being a preacher and a priest, Samuel was a little bit late. Any, any preachers ever late that you know of? He's a little bit late. And so Saul, the king, decided he was going to take matters in his own hand. Why, he knew better than, than Samuel did. After all, those Malachites are going to come down here and the people are going to get restless and we're going to lose them and we can't have them here. So he decided to go right on. He was going to go on and have the sacrifice whether the preacher got there or not. And so he did the sacrifice. After a little while, Samuel came. I'd like to have seen Samuel that day. He stood there in all of his body. When I read that scene, I think of Napoleon. I don't know what Napoleon looked like. I've been to his tomb. But I've seen pictures of him. He had that long flowing coat. And he just stood there like a, like a bronze statue. He just stood there and looked. And uh, here was, here was uh, old, uh, uh, the, the, the man. And he, he just got scared to death. He didn't know what to do. Saul said, uh, well, uh, preacher, uh, you were a little bit late getting here, weren't you? And old Sammy just stood there. Uh, well, preacher, we were waiting for you. Samuel said, uh, what, what, what means the bleeding of these cattle out here? I hear them. What is all this? What's going on? Uh, and, and Saul said, well, well sir, uh, you were a little bit late, and we thought that we were going to lose the crowd, so we went on and sacrificed anyway. Now listen to this. Just a little thing, wasn't it? A little tiny thing. Listen to this. Samuel said, to obey is better than sacrifice. And what you have done, you have exceedingly a carnal heart. And you have robbed yourself of the kingdom. And the reason Saul lost the kingdom was because of that experience that night. He didn't, he didn't believe God. God said to do a certain thing. He, he said, I'm going to do it my own way. And folks, that happens. That happens in life. Came a time when the people of God came to Kadesh Barnea. It was a place, the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 1, it's an 11-day journey from Egypt to Canaan. If you read on a little bit further in the first chapter of Deuteronomy, 40 years went by. And there they were out in the wilderness wandering around. What happened? 
when 11 days turned into 40 years. Why they came to Kadesh Barnea and God had put in the heart of Moses and, his, and, the, and those who were close to Moses. Listen, get close to the preacher. Don't stand way over here and say, well, I'll tell you, he's always running things and I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. He thinks he knows everything. Well, he may not know everything, but he knows a few things. Amen. Get some things from God. Amen. Listen to him. Get close to him. And uh, so they said, well, I'll tell you, we're not, we're not going to listen to old Moses. Moses says we need to go into, go into this uh, strange land and go over Kadesh Barnea and we need to go over there and, and uh, conquer the land and, and uh, well, he just doesn't understand. Why, he doesn't understand why there are big people in there and they're giants, we can't do that. And so they said, Moses, we can't do it, we can't do it, 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 can't do it. And so Moses bowed to them and appointed a committee. I don't know whether they should have had a committee or not. Somebody said a, a Baptist committee is like a camel with two humps in it. Well, anyway, they appointed a committee. And the committee started investigated and looked at it and decided and thought. And they went into that land. And they walked around in it and looked and looked and looked and looked. And they came back and ten of them said, we can't do that. No way in the world we can do that. Why they're a grasshopper. See, we're just like grasshoppers before them. And there are giants in the land and, and all kinds of things. Moses, you, let me know with me. Don't tell him I said that. Moses, you're a fine man, but you don't know what, uh, you just don't know. You don't understand what's going on over there. You don't understand business very well. You just don't understand it a whole lot. So, uh, but before Moses, they were really nice. Two of them came back, like Napoleon. And they said, we're able to do it. They said, how do you know we're able to do it? God said it. God said it. God said it. Let's go in there and do it. God said to do it. Oh, they said, no, we can't do it. And so, they decided they couldn't. And you know what happened? They didn't believe God. And God let them get the result of their unbelief. I want to tell you, there comes a day in our lives when we get the result of what we believe or do not believe. God says that. Beware lest there be in you that evil root of unbelief. And they said, we can't do it. And so Moses said, okay, we won't do it. Moses didn't get mad at him. He just said, okay. And you know what happened? Pretty soon they got convicted. They realized they'd made a wrong decision. They said, oh, they came to Moses. Moses, oh, Moses, let's try to do it anyway. Let's try to do it anyway. Moses said, no, you can't do it. God heard you. You'd go in half-heartedly. You'd go in and say, and if you failed, you'd go in and say, I told you so. Can't do it. Someone said, well, we're not going to listen to you anyway, Moses. And so those very ones that said we can't started to go in and they got routed by their lives. You see, the battle belongs to the Lord, friend. It is God's battle, not mine and yours. It is not our money battle. It is God's battle. And it's up to what God says. They said, we don't want to listen to what God says. And so I want to tell you, unbelief denies the very word of God. That's the reason it's a severe sin. Secondly, unbelief denies the purpose of God. The purpose of God. God has a purpose.
He wants us to walk by faith and not by sight. Do you know why God told, part of the reason God told us to tithe our incomes? God doesn't need our money. He's got the cattle on a thousand hills, but he wants us to walk by faith and not by sight. That's right. He wants us to learn, on the, to, learn to live on nine-tenths and give him the tenth. Pretty soon learn to live on eight-tenths and give him two-tenths, and on and on and on. And the closer we get to Jesus, the more we're going to want to give. And do you know what? The more you give, the more you're going to get. You say, I don't believe that, preacher. Well, that's unbelievable. God said it. I'm not telling you that from me. You don't have to believe this, preacher. But God said it. He said the way to get is to give. You give and it will be given to you. Try it. I just dare you to try it. Don't hold back on God. Don't hold back on you. You're guilty of a severe sin more serious than adultery or fornication or sexual impurity or stealing or anything else when you disbelieve God. It's a severe sin. In Hebrews chapter 11, do you know what God says? It is impossible to please God without faith. Isn't that funny? What would I say? You say it, say it, say it. If you do it without faith, it doesn't please God. Well, I'll tell you, think I'll teach Sunday school class. I'm going to usher. I'm going to do something else. Well, you do it without faith, and it won't please God. It'll stink to high heaven. And a church that does not work by faith and operate by faith and go by forward by faith, God is finally going to withdraw and say, all right, go on and take care of yourself. Do it. See how you get along by yourself. Walk by faith. That's what he says. Unbelief denies the very purpose of God. The purpose of God is for us to walk by faith. Not by sight. Not so we can see the end from the beginning, but by faith. You imagine whoever invented the lights. Suppose they had decided to do it by sight. And they'd sat there and they'd say, well, I'm just going to wait till the lights come on to work. Work, wait, 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 wait. They'd be still waiting. But instead, they began by faith to say, somehow, I believe that'll work. And they worked and they worked and they worked and they worked by faith. It wasn't just idle work. They were working by faith, expecting those lights to go on. They failed hundreds of times. But finally, they came on. Babe Ruth, one of the greatest ball players that ever lived, batted by faith. You say, preacher, how do you know that? Because he made more. Uh, he made. He, he struck out more than everybody else did. <laughs> struck out. You have to risk failure to have success. Do you think he stood there every time and say, I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail? No, indeed. He stood there with faith and said, I'm going to hit the ball, I'm going to hit the ball. And he missed it some, but boy, he finally hit it and hit more than anybody else. That's the way you walk by faith. That's the way faith works. And this book says, unbelief denies the very purpose of God. And I've got to hurry, so I want to give you the last one. Thirdly, unbelief denies the heart of God. It denies the heart of God, the very heart of God. And that's love. I wish I could talk about this with eloquence. 
God hadn't given me that gift. I just have to use the stammering and stuttering tongue that I have. But I want to tell you, God loved this world so much. I know, yes, I know that he loves me so. He sits by the windows the long ages roll. Where in the end of time is the brush of his hand, yet the king of all kings seeks the love of each man. Should the light of the sun in time flicker and die and the earth wander off like a tramp through the sky, the darkness can't hide me. He'll find me, I know, for men are his diamonds and he loves me so. Listen, God loves you. He loves you. And he's reached way down. The choir sang about that some time ago. He reached way down to where I was. He reached way down to where you was. And that's what happened at Calvary. The love of God came down through the clouds and through the sins and through the city's den and through all of our unbelief and stood right in the mouth of hell on a cross. Don't go to hell. Don't go to hell. I have a simple way out of hell. I've already atoned for all your sins. I've already paid the pardon. God is satisfied if you just look to me. Look to me. Look, there's life for a look. And men go under the cross and around the cross and down at the cross and they spit at the cross and they act foolish at the cross and they beeline their ways to hell denying the very heart of God. God so loved the world. Amen. It's impossible, impossible to get to heaven without belief in Jesus. Amen. Without trust in His only begotten Son. Unbelief is the severe sin. It is the severe sin. It bolts heaven. It opens the door of hell. And I want to tell you what else it does. It hurts God's people here. You try to live by unbelief. Don't believe what God says. Don't believe his promises. Don't believe his peace. How on earth do you think Kevin Ham stood here yesterday and spoke about his precious wife? How do you do that? Just how did he do that? I defy you to tell me. It was faith. Faith. How could Tammy be up there in that hospital room and know she had cancer? And know she was an intelligent person and she knew what that meant. Those nurses would come in, she'd smile to them, and they'd go out and say, well, I don't really think she understands what's wrong with her. Yes, she understood. Faith is the victory. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Faith does not always guarantee that we're not going to be crushed to pieces. But it does guarantee that when we're crushed to pieces, God's going to pick up the broken pieces and put them back together in a better way than we could ever imagine. Faith is the victory. Have you faith in Jesus? Have you faith in his word? Have you faith in what he tells you to do? Let's walk by faith. May we pray. Father, you're so good to us, we love you. But we don't love you like we ought to. Oh God, help us to love you more. We pray tonight for faith. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Give us a faith that will not hedge. We pray that somebody here tonight who is without Jesus Christ will open his heart to the Lord 
and trust Jesus as Savior and begin to walk with God. Lord, grant that. In the name of Jesus, amen. May we stand, please. What song was it? I surrender all. 394. Turn there, please. I don't usually drink water while I preach, but I've had to recently with my throat problem. But I want to tell you, <clears throat> my precious friends tonight, if you're here and you're not walking by faith, you're not pleasing God. When I walk and I don't walk by faith, I'm not pleasing God. Faith gives substance to the things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. If you want heaven tonight, put your faith in Jesus. Trust Him as your Savior. You want overcoming power in your life? Ask the Lord Jesus for it. Look in His book for some promises and believe Him. Walk by faith. I just believe there's somebody in this room tonight who needs to just step out and say, I, I need to walk by faith. Haven't been walking by faith like all too.